And good morning, everybody. Here we are online. I never have thought in my entire ministry I would be happy that we were online for snow. <laughs> Pastors dread snow on Sundays, but I'm just glad it's not something COVID-related. Uh, glad everybody can be joining us today. I, I, for over half of us, nothing is different today. Nothing is new, but for all of us that have ventured back out to online, uh, or in person, I mean, we are all online today due to the weather, and it is due to the weather, so... We should be back all together, uh, Lord willing, and no weather issues next week. So this is just for today due to the snow, and I hope you're warm and comfortable. I've already had an enjoyable time of worship, and now we'll go ahead and have our message. And as you can see, I've got my bride of 33 years, Karen, here to help today again, two weeks in a row. And we are shifting a little bit today. Uh, last couple of weeks, we have been in kind of a family at large, marriage, that's been our focus. And today we're kind of moving to parenting. Now we're not done with marriage. Uh, we're going to come back in a couple of Sundays and I'm going to deal with some, well, issues you don't even talk about at home, think sex, money, little things. So we'll be on that in a couple of Sundays, but uh, today and next Sunday, we're going to be kind of focused on parenting. And Karen and I today want to bring kind of a simple principle, a simple idea of, of having a goal, know where you're going, uh, a target on the wall that you're aiming at with the kids. And, uh, you know, I'm under the belief, uh, with a lot of conversations, it, it's amazing in this area of parenting how we really don't have a target. We really don't know where we're going to go. Uh, I mean, we do know where we're going to go, right? I, I mean, I know, I know I need to get them educated and I know that I need to prepare them to be a, a very rich and famous professional something or another. So based on that, I, I get them to school, I get them educated, and I get them in this activity or this sports team to prepare them for that life. Oh, and of course, I tell them to clean up their room. And uh, oh, and if you're a Christian, well, you know that you're supposed to drag them up to church periodically also. You know, I'm just going to throw this out. That's not working. That That's not what we need to do. So we're going to turn to the Lord today and see what he has given us to kind of set that target on the wall that we're aiming at. We're going to be working uh, from two passages primarily, Deuteronomy 6, 4 and following, and Ephesians 6, 4. So if you have your Bible and want to get those two passages marked out there, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Uh, now, this is a passage that we've already looked at briefly in the course of this series. And uh, I want to say the same thing now I said then. It's interesting. De Deuteronomy 6, 4 would be considered uh, a pinnacle. Uh, a summit in the Old Testament. Uh, it would be considered a, a very important theological point, a very important command. Uh, as a matter of fact, Jesus in the New Testament, when he was asked, what's the most important command, refers back to this passage. So every Jew would know this passage. And so I'm trying to say, we've got something really important here, and I want you to see what God marries it to, no pun intended. <laughs> I want you to see where, as God communicates this very important thing, where he immediately goes next. So look with me, Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, 
verse 4, and I, I did not mark it. I've lost my place. There it is, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and it says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving to you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Very big theological point, very big application, and boom, we're right in the home. Talk to these to your kids. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your, and on your gates. So again, a really important theological idea, the Lord is God. There's just one God. And then this application, what do I do with this one God? Man, you love him. You love him with everything you are, everything you have. And then look where God goes next. A way, a place that we grow in our knowledge of that Lord, a place that we love that Lord in the home. And in a big way that we love God is to take this truth, who we know as God, and transfer it to the children. And and he tells us how. Now, you may not have all those, you know, the gate and the doorpost and all that on your forehead and your hands. Basically, what all that was just saying is, listen, every car ride, every ball game, every homework assignment, uh, every argument with a friend, even an argument between mom and dad. Hey, literally everything going on in life becomes a place, becomes an opportunity to talk about the Lord. And, and what it means to know him, to love him in this moment. Uh, everything is a chance to talk about God. So you could, by this, by Deuteronomy 6, you could actually say life is an ongoing dialogue about the Lord in the home. So that we're going to be operating out of Deuteronomy 6, 4 and following. And then Karen, Ephesians 6, 4. Okay. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then Paul writes in Colossians something very similar. He says, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not discourage them. So when it says bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, that bring them up, that's that's what literally saying the word for that. That passage right there is nourish them. And the opposite of discourage is encourage them. So what God's instructing us is that we're to nourish them and encourage them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So how do we nourish and encourage? And here's just a couple little points. There's so many of them, but here's a few. First and foremost, as parents, we pray for our children. Mm-hmm. Everything as a Christian begins and ends with prayer. It's like the whole um, scope of who we are. We're praying. And Paul is telling us in the New Testament, the Old Testament, God is exhorting us to pray always, continuously, without ceasing, fervently. Prayer is who we are. It is and it's how we're defined as Christians. Now you're probably saying, well, that's obvious. Pray for your children. Well, we're to pray for them. And you know, we say that, but I think, personally, there's no issue that steps on my toes more than the issue of prayer. I can pray more. I need to pray more. So we look to pray 
all the time for the kids. And I, I do this, I mean, even with my chores. I love folding clothes because as I fold clothes, I'm praying for my children. So we're praying always for them. And what's happening as we pray for our kids is that we're knitting our hearts to them. Because our hearts are concerned about what they're concerned about. We're exchanging prayer requests. What do you, do you need me to pray for you about so you know what's going on? And then also, inevitably, as we pray for our kids, the burden of, of what's going on in their life that's worrying us and causing us to fear is being cast upon to the Lord. We're casting our cares to God. And so he's relieving us of this worry and this burden. And so we're not doing so much parenting out of emotional fear or, or all out of our emotions, emotions, period. So anyway, prayer alleviates that and it helps us as a parent to nourish and encourage our kids. Another way that we nourish and encourage them is that we treat them special. We tell our kids we prefer you. If you're, you know, have a phone and we have a list of favorites, you're our favorites. You're the ones that always have access to us. You are very special to us. God says in, in Psalm 127.3 that kids, children, are a gift from God. They are a reward. So we treat them as a gift, as a reward, and that they're special. Rainy, you did a really good job with this. You didn't have a lot of time as a pastor. So, you know, Sundays were the day, you know, where you're working at church. <laughs> Saturdays you were working so much. But when you had an extra moment, you were, you were with us. You were taking us to the movie. That was something we could do that was easy. We'd get our one big popcorn, our one big Coke. And for all of us, all six of us, <laughs> we'd go to the movie. And that was just like the That highlight. was pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. There was no COVID. We could all drink out of what? It was so expensive. It was so expensive, too. <laughs> so, but um, you made the kids feel special. You would do such special things. It's your birthday. Where do you want to go for breakfast? That's what Mary Beth always remembered. Colin, I was asking him, how did Dad make you feel special? And he said, he made me feel like I could do anything. And he made me feel like that God's hand was upon me and that something great, God's got a great plan for me. And I just felt that inside because he kept saying that. So when you make your kids feel special. You nourish them and build them up in the Lord by treating them special. And then we also, we love our kids unconditionally. A dear friend of ours from Spartanburg mm. passed away a week and a half ago. And I watched his funeral service twice. I probably could watch it a dozen more times. I took notes. As, as I listened to his grandson and his son talk about his parenting, I thought, I want to do and be exactly like Johnny Bab was to his kids. And he used to tell his kids, he'd say, Son, I don't love you because you shine. I love you because you're mine. And he'd say that to all of his kids. And They knew that their dad loved them unconditionally through their ups and downs, through their good and their bad, through all that um, they're going through. That love was there. It was constant. And as Christian parents, we don't define our children by their mistakes. And boy, do they make a lot of mistakes, especially when they're 
hormones are going crazy in their teenage years. I mean, they're just going to way overdo it way too quick. They're going to make mistakes, but we love them unconditionally, just as God through Christ has loved us, and he's forgiven us, and we don't define them by their mistakes. That's what Satan's always wanting us to do in a marriage relationship, in a parent relationship. So we're to love our children as God loves them. You know, God says what love is in 1 Corinthians 13, and part of that he says, love keeps no records of wrong. And we shouldn't keep a record. We love our children as God loves them. Then we love them unconditionally. Another way that we nourish and build them up and not provoke them to anger is we discipline them in the Lord. That means we don't over-discipline and we let our emotions take over and we discipline and anger or whatever the emotion is. That's wrong. That's over-disciplining. We're to discipline in love, not by our emotions. And so we discipline in love based on God's word and his standard. And then we don't provoke them and we don't over-discipline, which is a sin. Over-discipline is a sin. Another thing we do in the area of discipline is we don't under-discipline them. Mm-hmm. We don't want to just ignore it, just not bother with it. What happens when we under-discipline someone is we're disobeying God. God actually commands us to, as parents, we discipline our children if we love them. He tells us to discipline our children, so we do it out of love. But if we don't discipline at all, what happens is that sin starts building up, and they start feeling rotten, and that behavior gets worse, and then they're so rotten that nobody wants to be around them, they... They don't want to be around themselves. They're rejecting themselves. Other people are rejecting them. And it, it's so much that they're, they come to the point of, I hate myself. And they're angry. And they're provoked to anger because we're under-disciplining. So how we raise our children in the area of discipline, which is essential, you know, it's, it's very objective and it's subjective. It's a day-to-day thing. Praying, Holy Spirit, help me. And then there's a book I want to recommend that has helped me so much. I came from a broken home. I came from a messed up home. And this book has helped me understand what discipline looks like in a home. It's called How to Really Love Your Child or Your Teenager, How to Really Love Your Teenager. It's by um, Dr. Ross Campbell. He's an MD. He's a psychiatrist. He's a Bible. He was a Bible-believing Christian, and he gives very practical help on how to raise our children in love and to nourish and build them up and how to discipline them so we do not provoke them to anger. Okay. So, and you used the, the translation, you used the word provoke. Uh, another, another word is exasperate. exasperate. You know, think of when you're exasperated. What's exasperating? Man, when I when I don't know why I'm being rewarded one day and punished the next, that's exasperating. When I'm, at, when I'm at the whims of whether another person is having a good day or a bad day, that's exasperating. When I don't know where we're going, that's exasperating. And I pretty much just defined parenting uh, if, we're not, if we're not careful. So, uh, you, you know, back to kind of how we got started at the very beginning, that the idea here is to Deuteronomy 6, 4, Ephesians 4, that's a backdrop. So now we want to talk about where, where is it we're trying to go. And it's very simply this, have a goal, have a target, 
Paint a picture out there of where you're going with your kids. Uh, You know, a a couple should know that together, decide that together. Uh, A single parent can do this. Grandparents can do this. Parents of adult children can do this. Now, obviously, a grandparent... Uh, a parent of adult children, it's it's going to look a little bit different. So I'll, I'll focus our comments on parents with children in the home, small children, and then we'll we'll wrap up kind of talking again about grandparents and and parents of adult children. But but have a target, and uh, we're going to share with you uh, a list. The operative word there is a. It's a list. It's not the list. There there's not a Bible verse that says here's your five goals for for raising children. Um, I think when we share our list, you're going to hear one, two things that, well, every believer probably should have that in their list, but you'll hear some things that are kind of variables. It might look a little different for your home or your personality or your values. You might, you might have eight to 10 things on the list. So what you hear this morning here is just kind of a guide and an example of what you might do. And then I would encourage every one of us, let, let's go ahead and build our list. So the, uh, the first one in the list, this would be one of those that you think, okay, this goes in everybody's list. Choose the Lord. Now I'm going to use the word, I, I, I talked about having a target or goals, but what you're going to see in the outline is the word choose. Goal, it feels like it's about me. I have a goal and I just met the goal, but this isn't about me. It's about our children. And so what I want to see in my children is them making choices whether mom and I are there or not. Making choices when mom and I are no longer the primary influence in their lives. And so we're going to list these as choices. That was our target, our kids making these choices. Number one, choose the Lord. Um, now I want to, I do want to, not going to do this on every point. On this one, I want to teach a little bit on this idea. You know, I think, and I think we do this as Southern Baptists, and, and this is a good thing. We focus on the decision, the decision, somebody receiving Jesus Christ. We, we work on that, we pray toward that, and we focus on that. That was not my goal for our children, is to make a decision. Uh, and I, I guess maybe I'm sensitive to this as a pastor. I'm guessing some of y'all have heard this. You know, you hear the person that's 37 years old and they're talking about a decision they made back there somewhere. You know, when I was, I went to youth camp. I, I was at vacation Bible school and I, I went down and I got baptized and, and it's just a vague memory. That, that's not my goal for my kids. I don't want a vague memory, a vague experience back there in their lives. Listen, we focus on the decision because the decision is kind of everything. That's when life really begins. That's when life is measured. That is the door. And so we rightly focus on it, but that's not a stopping point. And, and so for us, it was beyond just making a decision. It was, choosing the Lord, not just at vacation Bible school or summer camp, it was choosing the Lord every single day, knowing and loving God in every decision and everything going on in life. And uh, you and I can encourage that. We can, 
reach that, that, that goal uh, of them making that choice when we are praying for their salvation. You, Karen, you mentioned a moment ago when men were praying that, that knits our hearts to our kids. What we're praying about tends to become our focus. So uh, we pray for their salvation. Uh, we make the word of God, we make the gospel available, maybe I should say very available in their lives. And then we invite them, and this is Deuteronomy 6, we invite them to come and walk with us, how we know and love God, what it looks like to know and love God. And I really want to encourage you here, because so many of us, I think, just discount our own walk with Christ as being anything that could be helpful to the kids. And and that's not true. Inviting your kids to walk with you does not mean you can discuss every theological point. It doesn't mean you can answer every Bible question. And it certainly does not mean you're living perfectly. Listen, your kids are going to have good days and they're going to have bad days. They're going to have relationships in their life that are good. They're going to have relationships in their life that are bad. They're, they're going to, uh, they're going to have some times where they couldn't feel any closer to God. God is so real and so big and they're so in love with Him. And they're, and they're going to have some times that maybe they don't see God, can't hear God. They, God's going to feel very distant. You know, folks, just like you and me, you got the good and the bad all of the time. If we're trying to present some, I've got all the answers and I live a perfect life in Christ, well, great, but your kid's probably not going to be perfect. So who's going to help them navigate the down times, the bad times? Well, that's where, and that's why that point in Deuteronomy 6 is so important. Just live life and, and talk, you know, it's, it's a, hey, you know, you, you might have heard your mom and I talking the other night about, or I'm making this decision. And it's just being real because they're going to go through the exact same thing. And, and it, well, what, what are you doing about this? That, you know, honestly, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit frustrated right now. You know, we're praying about it. We're talking about it. I'm talking to some friends and having them pray for me. Uh, it's just inviting them to see what it's like to walk with God, to know him and love him in all the various moments. You know, obviously, there's age appropriate. You know, not all things will we discuss with a four-year-old and more things that we might discuss with a 12-year-old. There's some things that are timing appropriate. You know, now's not quite the time to involve them in that discussion. But it's, it's just inviting them to see what it looks like to try and choose the Lord each and every day in all of the issues going on in life. So the next area as a family we want to teach our children is to choose church. Church is essential. Amen. And I Because we love know, our pastor, right? Choose the pastor. He's a good church. He's a good pastor. <laughs> so um, growing up uh, not connected to a Bible-believing church, I didn't realize how essential it was. And then here I am, I get married, and I'm a pastor's wife. And so, at first, it feels like I'm chained to church. I'm there every time the door's open. I have to be there every time the door's open. But over the years, 35 plus now of years of going to church every time the doors are open, I praise the Lord for those chains. Because while in this church, while in a Bible-believing church, I'm experiencing healing. I'm experiencing great encouragement. I'm experiencing hope. 
And um, I, I'm experiencing God's perfect plan for his children here on earth through his church. It is his plan. It's even one of his commandments. It's number four of the Ten Commandments. And it says, honor the Sabbath. Make weighty the Sabbath. And we think, oh, the Sabbath, oh, seventh day, we're supposed to rest. And, you know, we as Americans think, okay, that means we sleep in and we make waffles and sausage or pancakes or whatever, and that's resting. But that's not what the Lord's talking about. He's talking about this emotional, this spiritual rest that we are in dire need of um, mm. as, as we live in this sinful world. And so we're coming to church and we're singing together and worshiping together. And those songs last all week long in our hearts and mind. So we're singing together. Then we're listening to the word of God. We're in um, Sunday school, life group, connect group. We're in class together with other believers. We're making friends. And we're encouraging one another and building each other up. And we're becoming a people of rest, not worry and fear. A people that are um, just being infiltrated with God's uh, rest, his Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath. He says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That word rest is Sabbath. Jesus is saying, I am the Sabbath. He's the bread of life that nourishes us and feeds our soul. He is the living water that refreshes us continually. And so we're coming to church. We're seeing it's essential and we're bringing our children to church. And as we're bringing our children to church, we're bringing them to a place of rest for everything that happened this past week and for everything that's going to happen in a week. This is where we remember the Lord and we remember that church is a place where we begin to remember him and rest in him. Okay. We can take a nap, though, on Sunday after, afternoon after church. after church. Okay. But by the way, can we have um, can we have waffles and sausage after church? I don't know why that's on my yeah. mind. That sounds kind of good. Uh, third one, choose family. Uh, you know, folks, kind of like the, if I go back to the first message, um, family's priority. And, and we want our kids to choose family, to choose family as the place they find rest, they find joy, they find peace, they find encouragement, they find answers. Uh, we, we want the priority of the home and, and the relationships of the home. We want them to choose this as, as God's way, as, as a part of God's design. When our second was born, Amy, and I, I probably could have been praying this earlier, but, uh, I, I guess once there was two kids, I started praying this. Uh, I, I started praying, Lord, I pray you would make my kids best friends and a godly encouragement to each other always. And uh, I, I literally started praying that weeks after Amy was born, and she just turned 27. Uh, so I, I can say for, for a little over 27 years now, I have prayed that prayer 
almost every single day. And when I say almost every single day, I mean like literally there's very few days I have not prayed that prayer for our four kids. And now we have two son-in-laws and I, I put their names as a part of that. I want that dynamic where they're, they're engaging with each other and coming to each other and choosing each other. And they, they're talking to each other, yeah. calling, even though they're miles and miles apart. I know Randy and Colin are talking at least twice a day. Right. They're talking. Right. And, and, and when they talk to each other, I don't want them to say something stupid. Because <laughs> sometimes they're not going to come to mom and dad. Sometimes there's a question, an issue, a burden on their hearts, and they're going to go to one of their siblings. And that's why I pray not just that they're friends, but they give each other godly encouragement. And uh, I've, I'm adding grandkids to that prayer now, and, and, and in-laws, son-in-laws, daughter-in-laws are all a part of, thy, of that dynamic. And, and Karen, I'm glad you said that they're spread out. You know, prioritizing the home, choosing the family doesn't mean we're, you know, we're building a compound out on our property. That, that doesn't mean we don't have life and relationships outside the home. It just simply means we choose the home. We choose the family uh, as the place we go to to build life, to start life, uh, to to engage with life first and foremost. And uh, I tell you, I think that's a prayer the Lord has has really honored. Yes. Uh, as I mean, you said they talk to each other. We've got a, a child in New York, Virginia, Iowa, and Georgia. That's that's pretty spread out, and and yet our our home still engages. Uh, on, on a very weekly, regular basis, because we, we make that choice. We put that target out there. All right, so the next area that we want to choose, it's called Choose Your Best. It says, the Bible says in Colossians three twenty three through 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. <laughs> You're serving the Lord Christ. And so one of the things as a parent that we get to have as Christian parents is we have God's word as our authority. So the authority, his inerrant word is the authority in our life. It's the authority in our children's life. It doesn't matter how I think or what I say. What matters is what God says first and foremost. So as our kids are doing whatever they're doing, as they're doing life, as they're doing chores, as they're doing schoolwork, as they're doing activities, as they're doing sports, and later on as they do their jobs and so forth, what God is instructing us and what we can say as parents is God says to everything as unto him, as unto Christ Jesus, not for man's approval or disapproval, not for um, applause, but not when someone's, you know, just when someone's watching, but at all times, even when someone's not watching, because God's always watching. And we do everything in our life. We live our life out of love for God. We do our very best. We put forth our very best effort because we love God and we're consistent and we're, we become sincere people that are, are doing always our very best. Because we live in what Proverbs says, the wisdom of God, the fear of God, knowing he's watching us. And our hearts are offering, making an offering of all we do unto him out of love. 
Now, and then the last one is choose honor. Now this one, well, I mean, choose your best, choose honor. I mean, you can tell there's some variables here in what you might use, what What's a passion to you? Honor's a passion to me. If you've been around here very long, you you might remember, I, th- I think it's been three Januaries ago, I actually did a whole series on honor and the, the, the various things God tells us to honor in life. O- honor is a big thing in the Christian life. That's a big character quality of the Christian life, and it's not of our culture. As a matter of fact, raising children, I know the culture around me is going to encourage them uh, to honor themselves above all else. And when I say our culture, that's not something that just happened. Every single one of us has been raised in that culture. That's been going on at least since the 60s. And you know, when I say it like that, honor yourself above all others. Oh, well, you know, in a church setting, that just sounds wicked and evil. But you know, it doesn't sound wicked and evil when we hear it most of the time, whether you're listening to a podcast or a talk show where it, it kind of comes up in a sitcom. Hey, you do you. Hey, you can't love others until you learn to love yourself. And uh, God, take care of you before you take care of anyone else. I mean, a lot of it ends up sounding very practical and yeah. And, and I'm going to tell you something, I'm not, I'm not debating that. That's not my goal right now this morning. My point is, when people give themselves to honoring themselves first, I don't know why it is, but it always seems like what follows is dishonoring everything God has told us to honor. Not not forgetting to honor, dishonoring. God's told us to honor marriage, to honor life, to honor authority. I mean, it just goes on and on, honor, 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 Uh, and, and so... This, this, you know, that's just, that was a burden for me, a passion for us that we wanted our home to understand and work that idea of honor. But again, my goal here this morning is not teaching you about honor and what that looks like. It's showing, hey, you might pull in a character quality like that and say, hey, our home is going to put that target on the wall. We're going to aim at that. And it really does help you, uh, do so much disciplining. And of kids, I mean, you know, you talk to your little ones and say, hey, you're not helping your brother or sister uh, choose the family. You're, you're, you're not helping them honor when you're kicking them, <laughs> when, you're, when you're taking their toys and breaking on them. See, when you put these goals out there, these choices on the wall, that they will absolutely become a way that you begin to discipline them. And they understand why they're being disciplined. That removes the exasperation. Uh, I'm not saying discipline will be fun or it'll be easy because it's not. But now you'll have something you're constantly coming back to. Honoring. How many conversations are you having about an unfair teacher, an unfair coach? They're mean. They did this. And that, and that might be true. So how do we work on this? We start with what does it look like to honor. I mean, you really will be amazed at what it means to put a target on the wall. I'll tell you something. I believe in you guys. I absolutely believe that if you put a target out there, you'll hit it. I also believe this. If there's no target, you'll hit that too. If you aim at nothing, nothing is what you'll hit. Every, every single time. So let's have a target. Let's, let's talk about it. There's no mystery. There's no magic. No, you figure out where it is you're trying to take them, the choices that you want them to make, the goals 
that you have for them. Now, I, I was thinking, Karen, this could be really inspiring if we've got a, a child on the way in two months or, or we've got a two-year-old and, oh, wow, I'm going to work this list and I'm going to do all these things. But, but that's not where a lot of us are. Uh, a, a lot of us, you know, we've, I've got a, a, a 14-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 20-year-old, or, or all of my children are adults. And hearing something like this now seems a, a day late and a dollar short. It makes me feel guilty because I didn't do maybe some of these things. And I know there's, you know, something's not working right in my child's life, or I know there's a difficult relationship there between us. And, and boy, hearing this day can just make us feel even more guilty. Listen, God's word is never meant to leave you feeling guilty. No, no grace, grace. We've got grace. And, and so I, I want to be clear, um, you, you cannot duplicate the opportunity of the first five years. And, and I don't say that to add guilt. I say that to those who have a child in the first five years. You cannot ever again replicate, duplicate the opportunity the first five years gives you. And what happens in the first five years often sets up the opportunity you have in years six through 18. So I'll back out and say, you, you can't duplicate the opportunity of the first 18 years, but not being able to duplicate it doesn't mean you have no opportunity. You still have opportunity. With God's grace, you always have opportunity. And so that's where you look at, at, at an older teen and, you know, I feel like I've already missed the train on this or, or an adult child maybe that, and, and you say, okay, the opportunity's changed. I probably don't have three to five goals. I'm not trying to get them to make three to five choices. I've got limited opportunity now, limited conversations, probably need to focus on one thing. And so you look at what's going on in their life. You look at the, the status of your relationship with that child and, and ask the Lord, what's really the one thing I need to be focusing on and, and working toward? And Lord, when I am together, when we do have those conversations, may I be strategic, may I be careful, may I be thinking about what brings about that, that one choice or that, that one goal. And uh, of course, a, a grandparent can do this. Uh, you may not be around them every single day, may not be in that primary role. But as a grandparent, hey, here's, here's the, here's the, when I am with them, when I am influencing them, here's the one choice or the one goal I want to be focused on. Again, I believe in you guys. If we have a target on the wall, we'll hit it. The, the problem isn't that we can't get to where we're going. The problem is we don't, we don't put any kind of target out there. And you know, if you miss the train, guess what? Your kid knows you missed the train. But what an opportunity to use your life today to set an example and, and to be able to let them see you pick up God's grace and say, it's, it's always the right time to do the right thing. It, it's always right to do the right thing. And that can start today. And they'll, they'll pick up that, that maybe you missed it back there, but what you're trying to do now. And guess what? There may be a day when they miss the train and they look back and they remember Hey, my mom or my dad missed the train and they didn't quit. They, they realized I can still pick up the right thing. That, that they don't follow our lecture. They follow our example. I want to re, I want to read a verse. It's one verse buried deep in the Old Testament, but it's a verse that is repeated 
a hundred times throughout the Old Testament. Different name, but the same phrase. Listen to this. He, that's Uzziah. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. He did what his he did what was right in the Lord's eyes, because he did what his father did. And you know, un, unfortunately, there's also a bunch of verses that say he did what was evil in the Lord's eyes, because he did what his mom and dad did. Hey, if your kids are following your example, what's that going to lead them to do? What choices is that going to lead them to make? That can be a little overwhelming to think about. Pick up God's grace and start today with what you're modeling for those kids. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the blessing and the gift of children. And God, we want to be good and faithful stewards of the opportunity of parenting, of grandparenting. Lord, the, the opportunity to mold a life. And Lord, I pray the target for each of us is to mold a life in the, in the fear and the instruction of the Lord. And then be able to see that life grow up and to live greatly for you, God, in their generation. God, would you give us that wisdom, that commitment, that passion? Give us, give us the ability to do just that. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.